0: One of the sobering facts about Hebrews chapter 11 is the more extravagant, the more excessive, the more daring the faith of those individuals, the more pleasing it seemed to be to God. Radical faith. There's a distinction in this chapter. There's the faith of Gideon. Now, Gideon, I I really understand and cotton with Gideon because I like a sign, God, I'll do this, uh, but I need a sign for insurance. Gideon says, now, Lord, before I get this army together to fight the uh, wage war with the Midianites, I'd like a sign. I need some insurance. I'm going to put a fleece out here on the ground. You make the fleece wet, the ground dry, I'll take that as a sign. But you don't have that with Noah. Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, prepared the ark to the saving of his house. That's radical faith. Never in the history of Christianity has anything so centrally challenged our faith than modern science. Back when I was in junior high in Des Moines, Iowa, I had a little red-headed biology teacher who introduced us to the Big Bang Theory of the universe, that the universe was born explosively. Now, God could have created the bang, and out of that order... But not necessarily is that believed by some scientists. And she did not. And um, for her, it was blind chance, an accident explosion. Well, later I heard this parable. I pass it on as a parable. A teacher and a scientist were debating the existence of God. The teacher believed in God, the scientist was an atheist. The teacher said, well, how do you think this universe came about? Well, there was this tremendous explosion, and it just happened by accident, chance. They got no place in the debate, but the teacher got this idea. He took all the furniture out of one of the rooms of his house. He painted the walls the ceiling blue. He got some very, very uh, different-sized balls, and he suspended the balls from the ceiling. In that room in his house, he built a miniature universe. Then he invited the scientist over to see it. Why, as soon as he saw it, he said, this is incredible. You, you've got to let me bring my, my research students over to see it. Who made it? Well, the teacher said a strange thing happened the other night. There was this explosion, and it just happened. Sometimes I think it takes more blindness to believe it's all the result of chance than to believe that behind it all is a mind of a creator genius who spoke it into existence. Years ago, a young man by the name of Murray Eden at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, back when computers were first being built, he programmed a computer at MIT to print out the likelihood of the universe being born by chance. Well, the printer printed out, the computer printed out that the likelihood of the universe being born by chance is zero. Zero. Why, uh, I wonder, doesn't that information find its way into biology textbooks and physics books? Well, if I am shocked, maybe I've underestimated the power of evil and even science to draw a curtain over the minds of us our people you know I uh, I really don't like to fly I've had numerous times when I I really had to fly but uh, it does fascinate me because when I um, get on a plane I always want to look into the cockpit because I'm fascinated by all those the mass of dials and instruments and sonar and radar and That's enabled planes to fly when I really don't like to fly, and then they land it in a storm where you can't even see the runway, and they land that plane. All that instruments. Here I have a picture of a little bird. This little bird is called an Arctic tern. This article describes how this Arctic tern has the longest migration of any creature in the world. It uh, flies annually from the North Pole, the Arctic, to the Antarctic in South America, 12,000 miles round trip. It flies through crosswinds, sometimes at night, sometimes when cloud cover disenables it from even seeing the stars. That little tiny bird, air, Arctic Tun, flies to the South Pole, back to the North Pole, where it lays its eggs in the very same nest that it built the year before all that sonar, all that radar tucked into that little tiny brain smaller than the end of your finger, littlest finger. And somebody says, well, it just happened. Faith is stubborn courage that will hold on through lifelong delay, 600 years of moral loneliness, of preaching and Only his family is converted. Uh, That wouldn't sell, would it, big in church statistics today? 600 years of preaching and you only get, uh, what, seven or eight converts? But what an example of a godly father, Noah. He made sure that even though nobody else was in that ark, he made sure that his family was in the ark. What a father. I uh, have an idea how tough it is to witness in this day and age. I, I had a student. This this kid was about six seven, six feet seven inches. He grew up in the Loop in downtown Chicago. And he said, Mister Ewald, he said, uh, this weekend I'm going to take you to Chicago and we're going to do some street witnessing. I'm going to show you downtown Chicago, the raw edge. Sure enough, we went. <clears throat> I felt protected, six seven, and I was only six one. And he grew up in the loop, so he really knew the territory. We started out on South State Street down by Pacific Garden Mission. This is where the down and outers and some of the up and outers of Chicago find their way. Homeless, prostitutes, tattoo joints, drug addicts, alcoholics. We passed <clears throat> on the streets. We uh, passed out uh, brochures, a little um, tracts, religious tracts we were well-received on the streets there in State Street. About 3 o'clock in the morning, we went to Rush Street. I don't know whether you know anything about Rush Street, but that's where the elites hang out. That's where you have the tuxedos and the Transams and the sports cars and the go- evening gowns. I handed one of the tracks to a young man coming out of uh, one of the nightclubs. He looked at it. He wadded it up, and he turned around, and he threw it right in my face. I had to ask myself, do I believe this enough to submit to this kind of treatment? Yeah, it's tough to witness, but what I learned that night in one weekend of experience Something that Jesus experienced, and that was how the social outcasts seemed to be more receptive of his message and him than the intellectuals, the elites, and even the religious sophisticates of Jerusalem. I understood a little bit about what Jesus went through on the streets of his cities. Hard to witness. Some years ago, just a few years ago, a professor friend of mine, James Strauss, and I were speaking at the Student Union Building at Western Illinois University Campus in Macomb. And each of us, my field was psychology, and I spoke and related it to my Christian faith. He was theology, philosophy, and he spoke and related it to a Christian faith. Then we threw the thing open for questions. (coughs) I remember a kid... Had a great big, his physics book under his arm. And he said, uh, you, you Christians, you're always talking about your religious experience. He said, I had my religious experience in the cloud chamber in the physics lab. My religion, he said, my religion is my friends. We sacrifice for each other. We, we care for each other. He said, I can't wait to get back up to my dormitory room to be with my friends. He said, what do you have that's be- any better than that? There was a girl in the back of the room, I learned afterwards talking to her, that she was an atheistic Jewess. But in the question-answer time, she said, hey, you Christians, you're always talking about peace, 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 the Prince of Peace. You brought no peace. You brought no healing between East and West. You've not healed the problem between blacks and whites. And then she said, and usually you can't even get along with each other in your own churches. That hurt, that hurt. She said, most of the world doesn't believe what you guys are talking about here. Christianity, most of the world doesn't accept it. There's an answer to her, that young lady. And uh, if I recall rightly, I I sounded it. I said, um, truth is independent of the number of people who subscribe to it. Truth has never been dependent upon Well, how many will raise your hands and accept this as true? That isn't the way truth is established. Truth is truth even if the whole world rejects it. And a lie is a lie even if the whole world accepts it. Truth is absolutely independent of votes, of raising of hands. Alexander Camel, I think, put it well. He said, multitudes are no mark that you will right be found. A few were saved in the ark, though many millions drowned. So answer the gospel call and enter while you may. Christ's flock has long been small, yet none are safe but they. This isn't to suggest we can pat ourselves on the back and say, Thank God we're the faithful few hanging in there. But let me tell you, you look back over God's grand scheme of redemption and you cannot help but be brought to your knees in the realization that those few, however few they may have been throughout history, stayed true. They didn't jump ship even in the darkest hours. They remained true to the Lord Jesus Christ. Few, however few they may be, who stand firm, who will not abandon under trial. Countryside Christian Church, you're in the middle of a transition now. Transitions sometimes go smoothly and sometimes they don't. It's a struggle time. And uh, for many churches, a transition time is a test of faith. It's a measure of what I prefer to call fair-weather Christians. Who's going to stay in... In the pew, through some of the difficult times, or who's going to jump ship? I'll go somewhere else. I want to be where I'm comfortable. I want to be where it's easy and smooth. Fair-weather Christians, now, will you be the faithful? Will you stand true through a difficult time? I challenge you. We're in this together, you know. just drove through Peoria a while ago, coming up here. There was a very famous man from Peoria by the name of Robert Ingersoll. He was an attorney in Peoria, Illinois, and he was an atheist. He went around the country denouncing faith in God. He found himself in a New York City music hall one afternoon preaching, teaching to a Christian audience, but he said to them, you Christians are leaning on a... a worn-out medieval myth. With modern science, Ingersoll said, we can explain the universe without God. And at the end of his address, he gave this challenge. He said, I defy God. I will give God 60 seconds to come down here and strike me dead to prove that he exists. He pulled out his pocket watch and in silence for one long minute, he waited the crowd in hushed anticipation, wondering if at any minute he might just drop dead. No, 60 seconds went by, nothing happened. He said, you see, I have demonstrated there is no God. Put his pocket watch back in his pocket, left the podium, and the audience got up and went home. But that night, a noted New York News columnist by the name of Arthur Brisbane, whose articles were published not only in New York Papers, but even in the Chicago newspapers, nationally syndicated, and in the same newspaper that had Ingersoll's address, he, without any any citation of Ingersoll's speech, he gave this parable. I share it with you. Once upon a time, he said, two red ants were crossing the Mojave Desert when all at once their path was intersected by two bright shining streaks of steel One ant turned to the other ant and said, what's that? Well, the older and wiser ant said, well, that's a railroad track. Well, the other ant said, a railroad track? What in the world is a railroad track? Well, the older aunt told him about the great Santa Fe railway system with its girdling roadbed of steel that transected and intersected all over the United States of America. He told him about a man by the name of Benjamin Story who lived in a large Chicago skyscraper who guided the concern of this great Santa Fe railway system. That skeptical aunt said, that's the craziest story I ever heard in my life. Climbed up on one of those train rails hoisted himself up on his haunches, and he said, I don't believe there's such a man as Benjamin Story. I defy him. I'll give him 60 seconds to come out here and strike me dead to prove that he exists. Brisbane concluded that parable with this statement. He said, Now, can't you imagine a busy man like Benjamin Story leaving his large Chicago skyscraper to journey out to the Mojave Desert To step on one red ant to prove that he exists. Do you get it? It's a parable. But it's not about God. It's a parable, but about people. People who say, I don't need God. I can get on better with in life with without God. He's an intrusion. I imagine it was probably a family time. Last Sunday of the month, family time. The crowds would go out, have a picnic, watching Noah working on the ark. And they'd laugh and they would make fun. Noah would come to town and usually when he came to town, he'd be preaching. Preaching repentance. But this time he came to town, he wasn't preaching. He's collecting animals well they say he couldn't get people so he's going to take animals and he took them to the ark and then um, the bible says it started to rain you know I, I can kind of imagine the rain like we just had I, we need it down there in Lincoln just like you do here and, and I, know, I can hear the farmer saying oh boy this is great we needed this rain We didn't need this much, but boy, we need this rain, and it just kept raining. You don't have to have a lot of imagination, do you, to imagine it starts to flood, and these people who have been making fun of Noah now are seeking high ground. And the Bible says they, uh, they came up and, and they're knocking on, on the door of the ark and, and they're saying, no, open the door. But the Bible says God had shut the door. Oh, my. Oh, oh Noah, why didn't, you, why didn't you tell us it was going to be like this? They'd been told. And so have we. We have been told the apostle Peter, second Peter, he says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. He's not gone back on his promises, but he's long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, Peter says. Like a thief in the night in which the elements, the heavens shall vanish and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. But Peter says, we look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, things he had not seen, prepared the ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world and became heir Of the righteousness which is by faith. Ever done anything in your life on faith? Trusting that God would see you through. Willing to let go and put your hand in his. A pop star by the name of Bob Dylan. A few years ago during a period called Protest Music, had a song in which he sang these words, the Titanic sails at dawn. There's another vessel that sails at dawn. It's a vessel whose sails are set to catch another wind. I call it the wind of the Spirit of God. Can you hear that wind blowing in your heart? This morning? If so, then maybe it's time for you to surrender yourself to Lord Jesus Christ and give him your life and in faith say, I don't know what the future holds, but I trust you. But believe that you will see me through whatever may come and be there at the finish line. If you haven't, then invitation time is for you. We're going to stand and sing our closing hymn, one of my very favorites.